Damn, 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 son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 38 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, aka Tony Playboy, and I am joined here by some of my nearest and dearest friends today. First, as always, Demarcus, aka Shaq's Free Throw Form. You got any AKAs for yourself today, Demarcus? AKA Ice Trey. Trey Young's gonna shut it down in the in are the you garden. Take... <laughs> He's gonna okay. do that all over again. All right, and we yeah. are also joined here by our very first guest, Phil D. How you doing? Good. Good. God, I hate Trey. You sound Young. excited. Right, well, the Marxist comment threw me off, man. I can't stand Trey Young. I hate him. I hate Paul George. No, he's better not. than Paul George. Whoa. whoa. Oh, his, hair, his hair certainly is not. That hair is foul. I won't defend his, defend all his right. hair. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into some of the Jay Cutler divorce drama and how he is standing up for men all around the world. We are going to dig into the recent race norming settlement in the NFL and talk about its implications going forward for the league. We are going to give you our takeaways from the NBA playoffs so far, the RPO run pass options segment, where we give you the hottest storylines in sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them, give you our predictions for all the teams in the NFC West this year. And last but not least, give a big ballers bouquet to Big Diesel himself, Shaquille O'Neal. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tee off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. Today we are joined by Phil D. You want to introduce yourself, let people know about you? Yeah, uh, my name is Philip Samuels. I um, went to the University of Kansas, which is why you see me with it. Always repping the University of Kansas, Jayhawk for life. Uh, and beyond that, I'm an avid sports fan. Uh, write about sports, think about sports all the time. It's really integral part of my my academic pursuits. Fantastic, fantastic. So I'm going to give you a little option. Do you want to start with the heavy shit or the funny shit? Uh, let's start with the funny shit. All right, fantastic. Funny shit. We are going to talk about Chicago Bears quarterback. Some would say, you know, one of the better quarterbacks that we have ever had in the history of our team, Jay Cutler. And he is going through a quite messy divorce with, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this woman, Kristen Cavallari, right? She was on the, like, she was on a bunch of TV shows, reality TV shows in like early, early 2000s, such as like the Hills, et cetera. That's the one that made her famous was the Hills. Yes, it is. And after about like a seven years of being married, a decade being together and three children, her and Jake Cutler are getting divorced. She has accused him of inappropriate marital conduct in her divorce filing and has said that they have irreconcilable differences. All right, this is regular normal stuff, but how does this become interesting? I want to tell you. She starts off the divorce proceedings. First off, she wants full custody of the kids, not joint custody. She also then wants about $5 million to purchase a home. With she then, oh, okay, Phil, your face is already fantastic. Please tell me what's on your mind. I read this story. She wanted money. She wants an alimony. She wants it all. Okay, so it, in as far as I am knowledgeable on this she doesn't really have much access to any of jay cutler's funds there's a prenup for jay cutler in this situation uh but not for kristen cavallari so she's just like he was okay with me getting a new home before we split up now that we're split up he is punishing me this is a quote from this is a quote from her filing punishing me financially by not allowing me to buy this new house 
Well, if you're getting a divorce, he's no longer responsible for her financially. That's not a Look, punishment. He, <laughs> you on your own. Like, she, she says she's being punished financially and that he also will not leave their house in Tennessee. So there is nothing that she can do. So you tell me he won't leave his house. He, he said he won't leave, leave his house. <laughs> and he says they also have two multi-million dollar homes in Tennessee. And why can't she just pick up and go to the fucking other one? I, I shit you not. But this is where it becomes a little bit more interesting. Jay Cutler, after about months of this going on, months of him saying that he wants joint custody with her kids, she is saying no. Months of her saying he needs to leave their home because he cannot be in the same home as her and their children or it is detrimental to their upbringing. Jay Cutler proves the ultimate chess move of all time and then asks for half of Kristen Cavallari's very successful jewelry and apparel company, Uncommon James. He believes he deserves half of the company because she started the company while they were married and built it while they were married. It became successful through their marriage way before they filed for divorce. Now she's like, what? I mean, arguably she's more famous because of Jay Cutler. Hey, look, that's why that I is know also her. why I know her too, but I don't, I don't think we're her target demographic here. No, 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 but you can't tell me he didn't add to her brand. You can't tell me that some guy didn't hear about Jay Cutler's wife's jewelry brand and buy okay, his wife some jewelry. Maybe, maybe not. Phil, what do you think about this? I mean, so Jay, I, 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 I think it just goes to prove that things aren't what they used to be. The old gray mirror, it just ain't what it used to be. Used to be when women asked, they got everything they asked for. And in this instance, they're not only not getting what they're asked for, they're getting a bunch of what they didn't ask for. In this instance, that's half. He wants half. <laughs> she didn't ask for that. <laughs> she wanted five million to buy a house. She got she got a response with, "Yeah, I'll give you five million to buy a house with your own money because I want half." Also, <laughs> also, I read somewhere that a few months ago he cut her off completely, shut mm. down because they did have some joint monies. He shut all that down, took all that away, shut it all down. Which is why she's now like, I need $5 million of that money to buy a house. And he's like, kick rocks. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you thought she was going to buy a house with the joint money and you just cleared it all. That's what he did. That's what I read. Oh, that is so sad. Jay Cutler is kind of a king. Like, <laughs> I don't know who she thought she was getting, but the person he is this moment is not who she thought she was dealing with. Because he yeah. is. If he played quarterback with this much aggression, <laughs> he'd be a he'd still be in the league. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious because that is like the main critique of Jay Cutler is that he was just apathetic about everything yeah. and was impossible to lead people. Mm -hmm. What I want to really know is what is the the inappropriate marital conduct that she, she refers to. Would not so from everything I've read, she will not explicitly say that it is cheating but that it was detrimental and created irreconcilable differences between the two of them and that she no longer feels safe being around him, hence needing another $5 million home instead of either their home in L.A., their other home in Tennessee, etc. I mean, maybe it was when he forced her, and I use that term loosely, to go on a trip during the height of the COVID. Oh, when they went to the Bahamas? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that them? Uh, it was them. Mm -hmm. It was them. I, was he? Did he force her to go to the Bahamas? Because I no. know as soon as they came no, back, he did not. They got divorced. I mean, that probably couldn't help their brand. Couldn't have helped. I mean, it certainly didn't help her brand because they were getting it all over the media. The media was just giving them every last bit of it, calling them irresponsible, calling them all kinds of things. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this works itself out because. They're both rich, and at the end of the day, they don't need each other's money. But it'll be interesting to see how the courts come down and who they decide to give the money to. Like, she's not getting any of his money if they had a prenup. The only real question is if he's going to get any of her money. Yeah, that is going to be some savage shit. Mm, it's going to be the like, best. Football players have loved this. They are all over Twitter. 
Like Darius Slay is like Jay Cutler is showing us all the way. <laughs> Ryan Clark said that Jay Cutler is setting a new trend for Kings. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little hotel. Okay. Yo, if hotels were this, <laughs> with this and ingenious with their strategies, there'd be more of them. Niggas are lining up for the Jay Cutler special right now. Let's pivot on into something that's a little bit more heavier, but I think it's very important. Something that we want to talk about and need some attention. And I'm I'm really happy that I have someone like Phil here today because you're time span for understanding sports in particular is a lot longer than both me and DeMarcus's. And you, 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 you never let me live that one down when we're arguing sports. So let's start. So there's about a $1 billion settlement that has just been negotiated between the NFL and uh, retired NFL players in which the league used a scoring system and the term people have been using to describe this as race norming in which it justified paying out black players less money or in some instances, no money at all when they suffered from dementia or severious brain injuries, period, in comparison to their white counterparts. They use a scoring algorithm and that scoring algorithm just uniquely decided that black men start with a lower cognitive ability than their white counterparts. So thus they had not degraded enough in cognitive ability to receive payouts. Whereas white players started with a base higher cognitive ability. So they were more likely to get their payouts in a ton of situations. This petition had 50,000 plus signatures. It was something that, took a ton of red tape for them to get across. They had to prove in multiple instances that multiple players over a vast amount, like 20,000 players or the majority of them, because the majority of the league is black, would have received payouts that did not if they were assumed to be white based off the NFL's algorithm. I mean, let also, me hear what you got to say. You also don't mention here, which I think is important, that when some of these claims were brought and then denied, and then black players sued the league and the fund and the lawyer in charge of the league, uh, excuse me, the fund. Um, the NFL went to, I mean, they went to the sticks with this. Like they really were trying to deny these, 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 these men, their just due into perpetuity based on what is functionally phrenology. These neuropsychologists came in and they were like, well, black people's heads aren't as big, so they can't have as big a brain. Therefore, they can't have as much cognitive degradation as the white players. What are you even fucking talking about at this point? Like, it, reading this the is stories, Darwinism. It, it, what? This is Darwinism. Yeah, it's phrenology, man. It's like, it's just, it's that same old biological determinism that has been used since the beginning of time to say that black people aren't as smart as white people. And every so often, every 20, 30 years, it crops itself up. But this is the same justification they used in many instances to deny blacks the ability to play quarterback in the league. They were just like, oh, well, never be smart enough to read defenses. Never be smart enough to be a quarterback. How could they be a quarterback? These little brains they've got. And this shit is right in the NFL. It is, it is, it runs through almost every single segment of the NFL. So it's really no surprise to see it crop up in the payouts of, you know, for, for CTE, it's zero surprise to see that now that they've been outed though, the NFL came out and gave an apology. I don't know if you saw that, their apology, their apology was kind of BS. Like, they were like, Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, they were like, we're sorry if we hurt anybody or anybody's family thoughts and prayers. <laughs> I, that's not really wrong and they even went as far to say these systems that we created and put in place were actually supposed to solve these problems not create them in the first place well i mean that's some supreme court logic we'll solve racism by being racist so <laughs> the most racist we can be we will solve racism in this this way so i mean you know it's that logic is prevalent when trying to figure things out legally it makes sense to legal scholars as well as the lawyers. 
And it gets implemented in so many instances, and it just denies Black people the same recompense that they would give to any white person. Well, I mean, when I first saw this, I was kind of shocked it was still happening Um, because the NFL's had a lot of attention on concussions, on CTE, on brain trauma. There's been movies made about it, other lawsuits with, with players to set up this fund, I believe, in the first place, or a fund to pay out for uh, injured, retired players, et cetera. And so I would imagine that it has to go back at least a little bit. I can't imagine the NFL just started during all of that to do the race norming. No, 1990s um, is when they started the system. So it's oh, been going okay. on for literally 30 plus years. Well, I mean, you know, for years, you have to understand, for years, they denied that there was a concussion problem. So, yeah, the fact that when they finally came, got sued and it was proven that there was a concussion problem, there was an overwhelming amount of evidence. It's zero surprise that they did the best that they could in order to save as much money as they could. I mean, this is this is the definition of capitalism meets racism. I mean, I think of the NFL as no different than big tobacco or big oil when it came to, you know, fervently defending that yeah, there was no right. issue I at all. I think that's right. And, you know, the NFL, they aren't going to change. Their their argument right now is they, they'll get rid of the system, but right now there's just, there's no other system in place for them to replace it with. They are creating a new one. Yeah. Well, they're like, there's there's no ready system. So until we until we get a new one, this is what we got. But we're no, they tried that. The settlement did not allow them to do it on oh, Wednesday, literally on June 2nd. Like on June 2nd, they stopped using the system. Like they did not like seven days from when we are currently recording is the day the NFL pledged to stop using the system. The NFL said they got a panel of neuropsychologists yeah. that uh, are supposed to create a new system that includes two women and three black doctors. Mm-hmm. And they say that the replacement norms they create will be applied prospectively and retroactively. So all players that were denied prior to this will then receive their hopefully just due. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the only real, in my opinion, the only real way to get rid of the problem here is to remove, strip the, when the NFL player files for this, you strip away the name and the race and you make them a random number. And that's how like they're a double blind system. That's the only way to do. I mean, right. okay. It's, it has been common knowledge for a very long time that of all of the professional leagues, the NFL is by far the worst at dealing with the people who are no longer in the league, the people who have retired from the league, they let them degenerate to nothing. And then they take zero responsibility for the impact that the game took on their body. And they just have let them for years before even the concussion things came to light for years, just degenerate. This has been a story, how they treat the former NFL players since I can remember. And I'm pretty old. So it's just it's it's just another part of a long link chain of where they have discarded the gladiators who played and don't worry about any of that especially since most of them were black they just didn't care but the nfl that's what they have been for their entire existence as a bunch of rich white men and so i don't i don't think that we can say that <laughs> white people have changed very much this past year in this country taught us a whole lot or Exposed a whole lot to some people, at least, that uh, this is the way things are. A lot of people will listen to this and they'll say, keep race out of sports. They'll say, why are you making these things about race? They'll say these things are so long ago. The NFL created this system in the 90s. In the 90s. And this system has been systematically preventing black players, which the majority of the league is black, from getting cognitive payouts from the dementia cte etc that comes from playing the game it would be funny to hear someone say about this particular issue to keep race out of sports in a world where the league named it race norming not us 
Their psychologist, their neuropsychologist named it race norming. So we had nothing to do with it. On that note, that was your tee off. Oh, spit at thesis. All right, let's get into our takeaways from the first round of the NBA playoffs. DeMarcus, we've seen a lot. They haven't heard from us in a week, but we have the culmination of the first round completely, and I want to know your main takeaways. Let's start with the Bucks versus the Heat. Series ended 4-0, clean sweep for the Bucks. What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, biggest takeaway was that the Bucks tweaks in the regular season and changes with trades, et cetera, helped them a ton. Uh, but with the time that's passed between the first round ending and the second round starting, it's now looking more and more like the Miami Heat just weren't the team they were last year, and Milwaukee was who they've always been. And right now, and well, I'll, I'll say that for a second, but I'll say right now, Milwaukee does not look as great. But the takeaway from the Heat series was that they kind of vanquished their their demons and they looked really good. The Bucks did. Okay, okay, I'm with you. I am definitely with you. I felt like the Heat aren't who we wanted to believe they were. Losing players like Jay Crowder or Kelly Olynyk, etc., actually impacted them a lot more than we thought they would. Mm-hmm. And they might need to reevaluate some of their bubble superstars like Tyler Hero because well, this team. Oh, what's up? Well, those are young players. They they are going to be inconsistent sometimes and have ups and downs. And I think that's what happened this year um, is that you couldn't recreate the conditions of the bubble. There were all the distractions. And so maybe they weren't as locked in as they were last year this time. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's move on to the Knicks versus the Hawks. I'm pretty sure this one ended in five, four, mm-hmm. one for the Hawks. I mean, you were you were right about this one, that the Hawks would win. What was your biggest takeaways? Trey Young is a lot better than I think a lot of us have given him credit for thus far. He's uh, ha- having him play on national TV games, in the garden, etc., really showed a lot of people what he is about. Now, he's hot and cold. He, he, he has his streaks. Uh, but when he is on, he is on, and he can be a superstar. And, you know, the memes that came out this weekend were that, you know, maybe the Hawks didn't lose the Luca Trey Young trade as bad as we think they did. Uh, uh, that actually might be true. I actually, that was one of my key takeaways. It made the trade look less bad. I'm not going to say it made it look good, but it definitely looks way less bad. No, that's all I got from that. I think, um, like I said, I think a few weeks back, I'm not really sure if Julius Randle is a one. I think this playoff series gives New York uh, that clarity now instead of later, which is good for them moving forward. I'm not willing to say like Julius Randle has peaked yet, man. The jump between his game from last season to this season was so large that I am kind of confident that he will solve a lot of the issues the Hawks presented him coming back next year. But my big takeaway was, man, Nate McMillan is kind of that guy. And he has changed this Hawks team aggressively. He's made Trey less of a long-distance shooter all the time and definitely more of a facilitate first, you can get your shot anytime you want type of point guard. And because Trey Young is that special, that has kind of energized this whole team. And more importantly, we saw this Hawks team play really good defense in the first yeah. round. And that is not something that was their calling card at all prior to Nate McMillan kind of putting his stamp and his imprint on this team. So I'm looking forward to seeing him re-up and get a quite long contract coming up. Let's go down to Wizards versus the Sixers. Also went 4-1 for the Sixers. What do you have here? Nothing surprising here. Uh the Sixers did what I think they were supposed to do. The Wizards put up a fight. I think the storylines uh, like emanating from this game are bigger than this series itself. The storyline about the fans and Russ and um, you know Joel Embiid's injury, et cetera, are bigger stories than this series ever was. So I, I don't have any takeaways except for it was a, a bit of a snoozer. Um, this happened sometimes in the first round where one team's just just a whole lot better. And this is one of the ones we knew going in. It's going to be like that. Yeah. My only takeaway was free Bradley Beal. 
Like Russ and Bradley Beal can clearly play together well and have a decent relationship and partnership, but the ceiling for this team is very low. This is the ceiling. Okay. Last but not least on the East, the Nets versus the Celtics. What what did you take away from this one? Uh the the Nets like I think well, I'll say this. I think I I had the same expectation of the Nets coming out of this series as I did going in, which is what I told you a couple weeks back, which is without one of their stars, James Harden, uh, they can still look really good, but he is the piece that elevates them to the next level. Um, They took care of the Celtics uh, without much help from him, really. Kyrie and KD did amazing things. People are back on the KD's the best player train. Uh, I don't know why they ever got off. Uh, (laughs) If you believe this. Everybody wanted to say, we got to see how he comes back from his Achilles injury. Yes. Um, I mean, I still want to see the team in the Eastern Conference Finals, and when it's tough, can they get over the hump? Um, do they all gel and come together? Do they decide kind of and agree on who takes the last shot, et cetera? But as this first-round series, there's nothing surprising about it. The Celtics were shorthanded. They didn't have uh, Jalen Brown. And so I thought the Nets were going to win. They just had more firepower. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, you know, of course— Jason Tatum showed out is a couple that times. Dude, that was <laughs> yes. my takeaway. Jason Tatum is objectively disgusting. Yeah, I just one thing I'll say is I don't I still don't get why people don't think he's a superstar. I think he has done it enough in the playoffs already to say that he's a superstar. I will say that the only other thing that I take away from this is I don't think Kemba and the Celtics will work. I don't think it's going to be a working relationship for them. Uh, I it just I don't. His body's think, failing him. His body is failing him, but also even when he seemed like he was kind of healthy, he just didn't seem to be in groove or in rhythm with what the team needed from him. Like he's not really distributing the ball the most or first, and or even as effectively as Gordon Hayward did for them last season. But he's also at best, the third scoring option on that team. So then what do we really expect from Kemba to be successful in the current construction of this Boston team? And I just think it's a bad match for both of them. Now we'll see what president of operations Brad Stevens does here uh, in a few weeks. But, you know, he says he knows what holes they have and he's going to fix them. And I hope that is the case because I think the NBA is better when the Celtics are a good team. I agree. I agree. And the Celtics shift is definitely something I want to get into later on in this podcast. So West, the West, West first round playoffs. I'm going to start with the juiciest one, the best one, the one that went seven games. Clippers versus Mavs, 4-3 for the Clippers. All right. Demarcus, Demarcus, Demarcus. I ended up being right about this series, although it was way closer than I would have imagined. Even in game seven. Period. Just like, period. Uh, like, what was your big takeaway? KP's not that guy. Um, I was on the fence part through the season because he had had last year sustained stretches of playing really well. He had come back and was working his way back from an injury. And so we're giving him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. And I said, I wanted to see the rest of the season and how it played out and to see what his potential could be. And when the season was over, I was done with him. Uh, I thought less of him than I did even before. I thought that he felt to show up. He said that he was an afterthought um, in the offense. Uh, there are some some possible rumors that he has said that he has made comments about Luca, and there's now a whole is KP jealous of Luca. And all I gotta say is, yeah, he's an afterthought. He shot thirty percent from three, and he's a big man shooting like six threes a game. Get down on the block. You are an afterthought because you're not doing your job. You're not a unicorn. That's not your nickname no more. You lost it. All right. I will say that I agree with you. I don't think KP is that guy for them. And as far as money situations goes, if anything about KP's contract makes you have to think twice about Tim Hardaway Jr., he needs to go. Because Tim Hardaway Jr. was a dog. He showed up big time for them. And something that I... I really, really, really have been saying all year long, and now I think it's proven, they really missed Seth Curry this year. And Josh Richardson was not a good enough replacement. Not consistent in the big moments, and Seth can be. Uh, He's been there before. 
They really needed him. Uh, what I was really also surprised by was how Kawhi showed up in some of the big moments down the stretch in that series. There were times where Kawhi took over games where he decided that he was going to be the one who scored. And down the stretch in game seven, times where he was guarding Luka one-on-one. Now, of course, by that point, I would argue Luka was very tired and also hurt. Um, and so that's why I don't think it would matter who was guarding him that much. He, he was missing all his shots. But uh, Kawhi did take on that responsibility late in the series and um, both, on both ends of the court. I actually think we're going to see Kawhi lock in late in the series now if he has to defensively. I don't think he's going to start series defending the other team's best player and burning himself out early because stamina and endurance and just health is always the big question mark with Kawhi now. And I think that Ty Lue is a better coach than people are giving him credit for. I think we saw him make some big adjustments in this series, such as Luke Kennard going from like back-to-back DNPs to getting big minutes, Rondo losing all his minutes for Reggie Jackson in like heavy doses, right? Well, that was a difference in game seven. Reggie Jackson, the Clippers role players and their bench, they got the most out of them. And the Mavericks got nothing out of their role players and their bench. I think at one point in game seven, it was like the Clippers bench had scored 25 points and the Mavericks had scored four. And so that's no help at all for for Luka, not to mention his people who were out there hit them as starters like KP also aren't hitting people who were hitting their shots like role players of uh, Dorian Finney or Dorian Finney Smith. Uh, Finney Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, and Bronson, they also were not hitting the shots they normally make. The role players shrunk this, and the other star shrunk. And Rick Carlisle also should have done more double teams on Kawhi late down the stretch in the series because yeah. Kawhi was dominating on offense. And so, yeah, Rick Carlisle is a great coach. But in this particular instance, on that issue, he got outcoached. Did you hear him say that he actually had KP out there for spacing? Like he wanted Porzingis to space, not be on the block, not be posting people up. That makes sense when Boban's out there, but when KP is the only one out there and the Clippers are, are, are small, you have to take advantage of your size on the block. You cannot let them get second chance points off of rebounds. And you also can't uh, not just get easy buckets. KP had like eight points and six points in some of these games this series. And for a guy that's that big, that's supposed to be that good, who gets paid that much, you have to play better than that. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, no matter what the coach asked you to do, you didn't do it. Because <laughs> he did ask you to miss all your threes? No. <laughs> that's on you. That's not on Rick Carlisle. Okay, let's, let's move on to another series, The Fall of the King, at least for this season. Right? Lakers versus Suns. Suns pick it up in six. Winning four to Lakers two. Big takeaway for me was that the Suns are legit, legit. And CP3 seems to have gotten over that shoulder injury and is healthy, which is huge because that was a huge question mark for them, even if they got out of this series. And Booker's is advertised. And last but not least, Aiton is having a house breaking party. Not housewarming party, house breaking party in the playoffs and is living up to all of his draft hype. I'm very happy you finally joined the hype train on the Phoenix Suns. Um, the only thing I would say that it's new for me is DeAndre Aiden. He did not play like this in the regular season. I watched uh, more Phoenix games this year than I have in a long time. And that's the biggest takeaway. I'm happy CP3's uh, healthy. When he got hurt, I was like, man, this man is cursed. Uh, so I'm happy that he was able to recover quickly. The playoffs will be better with him. Um, keep, keep, I'm going I'm, to I'm go ahead and pick them in the next, in the next series as well. Uh, the Nuggets. Uh, absolutely i'll take him right now okay <laughs> um i did warn you but i've warned you all year and coming into the playoffs the suns were legit you said the, the lakers were the vulnerable lakers. yeah you said the suns would beat the lakers before they were even matched up when we were just like hypothetically if the lakers ended up getting out the getting out the first playing game right you're like oh yeah the suns would beat them so i'm with you you've been on the suns hype train for quite a long time you even thought at one point they would sneak the first seed I- i'm with you Let's move on to the actual first seed. Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Utah wins in five. Every game that Donovan Mitchell played. My my only takeaway was the Memphis is for real. They're young. They have a good core. And we should look out for them down the line. Because John Morant is a dog. John Morant was on his Grizzly. 
because he wanted all the smoke. There were a couple times where Morant tried to dunk over Gobert, and he got blocked, but we were he like the audacity to even attempt it. He tried it. every opportunity. <laughs> he, wanted to, he wanted to dunk that man into Middle Earth. And each no. time he went up with the intention to end Rudy Gobert, and I loved it. No, it was great. I have great respect for John Morant. I think he and what he's doing there will hopefully keep that team relevant, and he'll be a big part of what the league looks like in the next decade. All right. The other one that created some big changes for the league, Blazers versus Nuggets. Nuggets take it in six, right? Man, the Blazers have to retool, right? Yeah, it's clear at this point the core they have is not going to get it done. Uh, Nurkic is not good enough to be a two or a three oh, on a championship stop. team. He's not. Oh my god. Okay, look, look, look. I don't. I'm. I'm. I've had this conversation with three different people this this week. Of uh, just like the to rebuild the Blazers, you need to get rid of Nurk and CJ because they're your best trade pieces. And I'm like, not Nurk. Because Nurk was the only good defensive player on the Blazers. Like the Blazers' defensive rating with Nurk playing versus when Nurk was hurt or just not in the game is vastly different. I will, if you're like, Nurk can't be the third best player on a championship team, that may or may not be true. But Portland's issue has consistently been defense. We can agree on that, right? Nurk is their best part of their defense. So I'm just like, hold on to Nurk for dear life because you have to get so much more back to replace what he provides you on the defensive end. I agree. Jokic still put, put that dude in a blender all day long consistently, but it's also like he's the MVP of the league for a reason. No, that's the second thing I want to talk about is, is that we were... And, you know, we were some people were a little bit questioned or a little bit concerned about uh, the Joker's ability to carry the Nuggets in the playoffs without his co-star. I thought he would do his thing um, and he didn't even play that well. He didn't really do his thing and they still won. Um, His assist numbers were way down in this series from where they were in the regular season. But that's Um, part of the game plan. They wanted to make him a scorer, not a facilitator. And he he took it up. He did. Um, He's the MVP. It's official now. Um, as of Tuesday of this week, and very happy for him. I think it was the right MVP pick, but he did what we thought he was going to do, and that's the biggest takeaway, and people uh, need to give him his respect and his props where it's due because some people still aren't. They're like, oh, he only won it because so-and-so was hurt. And I'm like, no, he also had a worthy season. Like He would have been in it if those guys were around just as well. Would he have won it? I don't know. But would he be in it, and is he deserving of it, regardless of LeBron or or or? or Embiid or whoever getting hurt, yes. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. We we got a couple. I want to do like a little quick hit on the second round uh, of the playoffs. We haven't seen much of it yet. I'm not really super in depth on it at, so far because these things change so fast. But uh, mm-hmm. Clippers versus Jazz. Give me your one big takeaway from the first game that you saw. Utah's the better team. What a capital T. Okay. All right. I, I saw that game and I was like, the Clippers should have zero panic. That game was super close. They played really poorly and like a shot away from going to OT. I think the Clippers should steadfast, assume that Paul George won't go like three or four for 16 or whatever he did and things will be better. Suns versus Nuggets. I think this has got to be a coming of age for Aiden if the Suns are to win this series. He has got to play bigger than he has even thus far in the matchup against Joker in order to to have Phoenix come out on top long term. Now, I think um, he's going to be key. I think the better he plays, the shorter the series is for Phoenix. I think Phoenix can win it in six if he plays well. I actually 100% agree that Aiton is the like key factor here. Interestingly enough, he kind of played Jokic to a wash. Like mm-hmm. basically matched his defense stats in particularly game one. was fantastic in game 1. I I think that's all he has to do. If he can play Jokic even four times, like Jesus Christ. Like that would be crazy. 
And I think if he does that, the, the Suns should win every game that he's able to match Jokic or even get close to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funniest one so far, Nets versus the Bucks. <laughs> uh, I'll be nice. Uh, Giannis got to show up. Game one, he showed up. Game two, he did not. Uh, the whole team just called in on the shift and was like, uh, I'm not feeling too good this morning. I can't come in. And they showed they, they were down by 50 at some point. And the team with the former, like, I believe, two-time MVP who and has been to the DPOY. conference finals, ex- DPOY, et cetera, you can't be down by 50. Like, that team is too good, should be too proud to be down that much. And Brooklyn's not even at full power. They're not at full strength. That's that's the crazy part. Um, I thought that Milwaukee would be a more of a, a test for them, and they're not. And that's unfortunate because I don't know that if if Philly wins in the other series, we'll talk about in a hot second. I don't know if Brooklyn's been tested enough to to handle the tough defense that the that they're going to play because that's what they want to do. They want to get physical, and the Nets have run over everybody so far. Are they going to be ready to be physical with 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 Philadelphia if they get there? I'm I'm with you here. It sounds like Coach Bud is about to get fired. This has been a slaughter. And like like I thought would happen, Philly Nets is going to be the conference finals, I assume. But the Philly Hawks series, they're at 1-1 right now, right? Look, my, my big takeaway is that MB looks really fucking good, looks really, really healthy, and that gives me a lot of faith and confidence in this Philly team. I think the Philly team has played really well. Embiid had himself a night um, in their second game that's tied up 1-1. I just don't know if Embiid can do that every single night in the minutes with his injury history. And his because the how, how, as tall as he is, as big as he is, as hurt as he has been, I don't know if he could put the team on his back every night in the playoffs without more help from some of the other players on the team. And Trey Young is no joke. He is no joke. If you let him get a hot, he is going to be a Danny problem. Green. Like or oh Danny Green, he, and, he put a thirty plus on Danny Green's head alone in Game One. Oh. I'm not ready to say that Philly wins this series easily, um, or even at all. I'm I, not I sure am. they do. I am. Uh, are you going to pick the Hawks? I might. I might. What's up? What's I up? Might. Uh, I might. Okay. We'll... All right. I, I, <laughs> I've been steadfast at Philly's coming out of the East all year, and you I'm have. still sticking with that. Right now, the Nets series, I think, is going to be the most challenging one for them. And I just think that, like, Philly played really bad in game one and still made it close. All right. All right. That was our takeaways from the NBA playoffs so far. We want you all to share with us what you think, what has been the most exciting series so far, and how do you think it's shaped the teams going into the next season? Because I think there's going to be a big shift in the NBA coming up. a playboy affair all right all right let's get into the rpo run pass option segment where we like to give you the hottest storylines and sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them take us away demarcus all right so first things first we gotta talk about the julio jones trade to the titans we have been speculating about julio being moved for weeks now if not months he finally did move for like a second round draft pick What's your initial reaction? Run or pass? All right. So I'm going to run. I'm going to run on wow. I'm surprised that so little was, he went for so little and such a small amount of teams were actually ever interested in really negotiating for him. Uh, It sounds like the Ravens were out as soon as they drafted Rashad Bateman and they didn't really make any moves for it. Same with the Patriots. He went for, I want to say a second and a fourth round pick and they're giving back a sixth. So, like, Atlantis gave up a pick when they got rid of Julio Jones. So that's really interesting to me. I think that the Titans, while I think they're a good team, Julio would be great there. It doesn't move the needle. Julio's not on a contender. The Titans are still not contenders. Their defense is just too poor. And while Julio Jones says he was all about winning, I guess he really just doesn't have control about where he gets to do that at. No, at least here he can 
they can say he, they gave him a chance to win. Um, yeah, it is what it is. All right. So we've been hearing some recent trade rumors coming out of Portland after that series ended and trade rumors for CJ McCollum. Runner pass, would you trade CJ? And if so, for whom or what? Okay, I'm going to run here. I do think that the combo guard experiment in Portland is over. Like having two combo guards that are basically both ball handlers but also shooters, it's come to an end. I think that they are too small defensively. They are good together. They work well together. But the problem is when CJ isn't getting his shot off or getting going, really, he can't add a lot more to the team, especially defensively and in the other aspects of the game and the way that he impacts it. And I think that it might actually benefit CJ a lot to be somewhere where he becomes the primarily primary ball handler and Dame gets someone off of him that's more of a spot-up guy, plays a lot of defense, can guard the best guard or wing on the other team. So, Clay and, Thompson. I mean, that that would be <laughs> ideal. Like, there's the reason why Steph is like Steph and Clay do so well together, right? Like Clay Thompson would be the ideal, but they're never gonna get Clay. Just like oh, yeah, just like um Dane has been wanting Draymond Green for years. Never again. Well, that might that's more likely. That's much more likely to happen. <laughs> but he's Clay. been wanting Draymond for years, and you get why, because Draymond would set the screens, grab the rebounds, can facilitate and pass, even though he can't score, but he can affect the game in the ways that Really, Dame does not. Yeah, we'll have to get into this more in depth, uh, probably sometime this summer, to figure out what is the fire out on the Portland Trailblazers. How do they fix their team? How do they become the team that Dame deserves, really? He's too good to be on a mediocre team. All right, and then last but not least, we're going to talk about your Bears and a former NBA MVP in Tim Duncan. So the rumor is, the story is that Tim Duncan delayed a, a team flight in order to watch uh, the end of a Bears game. Uh, what's your reaction to this? Runner pass. So this has actually been kind of floating around for a while, but just not get enough attention. Like Tim's Duncan is like Tim Duncan is one of the biggest Bears fans out there. The Seahawks Bears game went into OT, and he delayed the team flight to be able to see it. His ringtone is actually bare down. And in his locker, he kept the Bears mini helmet and box in his locker the whole time that he played. And this is like insane to me because like we don't know all that much about Tim Duncan. He's usually a really quiet guy. He's not super outward and sharing a bunch or like on social media all the time. And you got to wonder. So I did a bunch of deep digging on how like Tim Duncan became a huge Bears fan. And you got to think about it. Tim Duncan's like, 40-something years old, right? Oh, like almost like approaching 50 at some point. And you got to think about it. He was like a kid when the Bears were like super good, like won the Super Bowl in 1986. And while he was in the Virgin Islands, for some reason, they got Bears games. You know, this is also a thing we don't think about. So maybe this is a factor. I don't know. So, you know, we always see as soon as the game's over, championship game, teams are wearing the shirts and the hats, right? Well, all the shirts and the hats from the losing team always go to some other country outside the U.S. So is it possible that little Tim, little Timmy uh, would have gotten some Bears gear if they lost the NFC Championship game or Super Bowl <laughs> or something? Oh, that would be that is something that I would really want to know. But it's kind of amazing. Like Tim Duncan, huge Bears fan. I wonder what he thinks about Justin Fields. Would never have guessed it. Uh-huh. All right, let's uh let's let's move on. Speaking of MVPs, right? The MVP voting came out. Jokic wins by a landslide, but a particular player got one first place vote that surprised a lot of people, and that was Derek Rose, who apparently won the fan vote for MVP. Runner pass on Derek Rose deserving that first place vote. Um, I'm gonna run. You know, I love D. Rose. His story is great, how he has reinvented himself in his game after a couple of huge injuries. Um, he kind of redefined who he was as a player. Fantastic. Love him. All that. 
he didn't have any business getting an MVP vote here. Um, the fans are tripping. They're crazy. And they were not watching all of the games. Maybe they're just watching D. Rose play. Uh, but they, their vote should have gone to Steph Curry. Uh, Steph Curry got the second most first place votes. It wasn't close to, to the Joker, but he got five, um, which tells me I'm not crazy when I look at Steph Curry playing. I'm like, oh, that man is dangerously important to both the Warriors and the league. Because remember, last year he didn't play and it was had a different vibe. I mean, um, they got they got to pick Wiseman. <laughs> well, they got to pick Wiseman. Exactly. That number, a, a top three pick. And he just changes things in a way that no one else really does. I think possibly the one of the most influential players still in the game and definitely the most important player on the Warriors because they get nowhere near the playoffs if he is not there. I think the Knicks might have slipped. They would have gotten in in the East anyways, I think, without D-Rose. Maybe a lot lower of a seed, but I think they get in. And if that's the case, then Steph got to be the fan MVP and not D-Rose. That should be the question fans ask themselves. So fans are being ridiculous, as usual. Okay, okay. I'm going to, let's talk about Coach K, right? Duke legend. He is retiring. Runner pass on him making the transition to the NBA. Ooh, uh, I'm going to run. I, I don't know. Because if he would have, if he wanted to do that, why hasn't it happened already? Uh, there have been plenty of people who have called Coach K who've wanted him to come to the NBA. He's gotten some pretty solid offers for kind of setups or teams and players, and he's turned it down many, many times. Um, I think ultimately this is going to be good for college basketball in the long term. I think the less of the big, huge kind of coaches you have, the more room that leaves for other smaller programs to get good players um, and or players at all as well as kind of balances the playing field and lets some oxygen into the conferences where those those coaches are. Imagine if you're playing in a conference or you're in a tournament where you got a Coach K and a Coach Tom Izzo and you've got a, a Coach Williams and a Brick Patino and you got all these guys, um, the new guys don't get as much shine, they don't get as much credit, and it's harder for them to overcome. And I think uh, making way for the new generation is always a good thing. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about here is some COVID and concussion news. Apparently, NFL assistant coaches from at least four different teams have refused to become vaccinated as in line with the league mandate, and they are going to lose tier one access to their team. Tier one being like they are banned from being on the field, going to games, being in meeting rooms, having any direct interaction with players. Do you think that this is going to become a larger issue, run or pass? Um, I'm going to run, and yes, it, it will be once the season starts. Uh, there is a low rate of vaccination among players currently, so that once we return to training camp and team facilities and having games, the, the rate of vaccination is going to be very low uh, in the NFL compared to the general public. And so, yeah. Uh, it's going to have an increased risk of spreading COVID and having more games missed by star players, possibly from coaches infecting them with COVID. Um, imagine if I have another game where their team has no quarterbacks because the quarterbacks coach didn't want to get vaccinated. I would also love to know what coaches this is. Are there any head coaches who are going to be impacted by this, who refuse to get vaccinated, who won't be able to be on the sidelines? Because then we will know who it is very, very soon. All right. All right. That, that, that was your rub pass option. What's up, Playboy? All right, we are going to get into our predictions for the NFC West. You know, one of the most competitive divisions in football, especially over the last couple of years. And I want to kick us off with the Los Angeles Rams. All right, I had this team going 11 and 6. What, where, where'd you have them at, Demarcus? So. Uh, I think I have the Rams somewhere in there. I think they did lose some talent on offense, but ultimately gained a better quarterback in uh, Matthew Stafford. Um, the question is always how he looks, how healthy Stafford is. He usually plays a lot of games, but he plays some games nicked up. I think if he's healthy all season, 11 and 6 is certainly achievable for them, given their uh, their schedule this year. All right. I, I was actually kind of interested in this. So, they have a really soft, soft, soft schedule. Like, the NFC West has some soft schedules in general, but they get the Colts very early before they can gel. 
the Giants, the Lions, the Texans in a row, and they play the Jaguars and the Vikings. I feel like right there, that's about six wins that you can just book them for. Well, the AFC South, which is where the Texans, Titans, uh, Dolphins all play, etc. Um, that is a pretty rough division right now, especially the Titans and the Colts, uh, what's going on there in their respective situations. And so that is why this division, this division already has really good teams. They're going to have some kind of inflated records this year even more because they play the AFC South. All right. All right. That makes that is a big thing to keep up because I didn't ever have the Rams sweeping any divisional opponent. So we'll move on down to where I actually I want to talk about where you have the 49ers at because I'm interested in this one. So the 49ers are a bit of a conundrum. Um, I think with Jimmy G, I think he's going to play this entire year. I think they're going to be a really good team without all the injuries from last year. I think they go 12 and five. I have them uh, winning this division. I have them with losses at Arizona versus Indy at Seattle, at Tennessee, and at the Rams. And that's it. And I think the rest of the games, the 49ers are very capable of winning, um, and I think they will win them. All right, all right. I also had the 12-5, and five, actually, exactly. I do, they, they did have a couple early injuries. Two players got injured in training camp and are out for the season already. I want to say one tore an Achilles, and the other one has it's another season-ending injury already. Uh, but they do have Detroit, Philly, the Jags, the Bengals, the Falcons, the Texans, and the Vikings on their schedule. So that's even like uh, even more than the Rams in far of like weak strength of schedule that they have going on over there. I uh, I had them taking some surprisingly L's. I have them losing to the Bears um, week eight, even though you do not. But I I have I have some faith in us on that one. Uh, but you know they. They end the season on a losing streak in my prediction. I'm going to move on to the Cardinals. The Cardinals I have as a 9-8 and eight team, and I think that that means the Cardinals will miss the playoffs yet again, even though they have a lot of shiny new pieces. Uh, they added some wide receiver talent, but they're kind of wide receiver talent we haven't seen be very successful in recent memory, even though they have D-Hop. And D-Hop in and of himself is a monster. And their defense seems to be a lot improved. But this is a season with how consistent we think Kyler can be. And I think that the floor for this team should be eight wins with a much improved roster. But I think they'll take a loss week one to the Titans, a loss to the Rams in week four, a loss to the San Francisco 49ers in week five, and the Cleveland Browns in week six. From there, I think they'll go on a little bit of a win streak, but lose to the 49ers. Away at the 49ers on week nine. They also have them taking a loss to the Bears on week 13. And then a loss to the Colts and a loss to the Seahawks. Okay. I think Arizona's biggest problem is the division they're in. Um, It's going to be rough for them to make the playoffs based on the way they're slotted. And they're likely to be the fourth team in the division and still have a winning record. Which is crazy. They also um, might have the hardest schedule in the division. Also a thing. Also a thing. So we got to talk about the guy up west in the northwest. Uh, the man who cooks. Uh, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And I have them going 11-6 and six and finishing second in this division. Um, I have them with a couple of surprising losses. Uh, but I had them with a loss at San Francisco, at Tennessee, at Pittsburgh, at Green Bay, at the Rams and at Arizona. So all their losses come on the road um, that with, I think with the crowd back at the 12th man back in the stadium up in Seattle, uh, they win all their home games, go 11 and six second in this division and make the playoffs again. All right. I had them going 10 and seven. That's only one game off. I have them taking it out to the Washington football team. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, yeah. They're I mean, at Washington. The- it's, the football team, as they call themselves, are going to be good. The question is quarterback uh, play. I'm not sure they'll get consistent enough quarterback play to be able to beat this team late. Oh, that is interesting. We'll see if Russ continues to cook throughout the season, unlike last season where he kind of 
took a little bit of a nosedive in the mid Well, one kind of thing that's going to be a factor in this record is the relationship between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. We heard a lot of this offseason about the fracture in that relationship, particularly on how the offense is run. Um, and if they don't get that resolved and there is a problem there, uh, 11 and 6 is their ceiling um, and their floor is much, much lower. All right. All right. I'm with you. Those are our predictions for the NFC West. Playboy. All right, it's time for the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Bowers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. Uh, for this week's Bowers Bouquet, we're going down to the Georgia area. Uh, we're going to f- join a former NBA star, a current NBA analysis for TNT, and by nature of that, an Atlanta resident, because TNT is in Atlanta, by the way. Uh, and we're going to talk about Shaquille O'Neal. So Shaq has been known to be a very nice big man, very kind of big cuddly bear, will give everybody the shirt off his back, um, etc. And he particularly loves to do things for kids, uh, nice things. Uh, for example, I don't know, Anthony, you remember the Shaq shoe line people used to wear or still wear? I had a pair uh, of Shaqs. Yes, I didn't wear yes. them like that because I had a pair of Shaqs, but I had a pair of Shaqs. Listen, listen. People make fun of the Shaqs people picked up from Walmart, uh, but the, in reality, we should not do that. First off, we shouldn't shame people for, for not being able to afford Jordans because Jordans a cost too much money. Uh now, Shaq's particularly were made to be affordable, though. They were made to be affordable. They were sold with Walmart in particular to be affordable so that more uh, kind of impoverished kids who maybe wanted to hoop could have something decent to hoop in. Um, and so this has always been Shaq's mission. This is in everything that he has done. Um, and as a result, he has some new actions involving giving away shoes to kids. And that is why he is this week's recipient of our Ballers Bouquet. All right. So a couple of weeks ago, Shaq visited students at the Wesley Lakes Elementary School in Georgia. Uh, He said, quote, it's all about the kids. The two things that really hurt me this year were seeing 40 million people out of work. I hate seeing kids who don't have what they need. So, of course, Shaq partnered uh, with an organization called Souls for Souls. And I want to make very clear on how this is spelled. So it's souls, (laughs) like shoe souls, like S-O-L-E-S, for souls, S-O-U-L-S, like, you know my soul uh so souls for souls um and so with the partnership between souls for souls and the shack foundation uh and his partner reebok they were able to distribute 500 pairs of new shoes to students at uh, the wesley lakes elementary school and they're also going to donate more shoes to uh, other students and children in the area uh, but this of course is not even the only example of shack doing something kind in this county, like literally in this county. So uh, earlier uh, last year or late last year, and this is Henry County, Georgia, uh, Shaq uh, partnered with another foundation and his corporate partners to help hold a toy drive. And they gave toys to kids who didn't have around the holidays, which I imagine in 2020 was a lot more than maybe even normal because of the huge economic impact that COVID had on our economy. But as we always say here on the Ballers Bouquet, wait, there's more. Uh, additionally, Shaq also uh, was able to host a fundraiser and make donations through his foundation to uh, athletic programs around the country, including in Georgia, uh, where six schools received funds in order to pay for PPE and other necessary equipment in order for them to be able to travel to and play their athletic schedule. Uh, Shaq on this said, quote, for student athletes, sports are a vital physical, mental and social outlet, and it's devastating to have something that fundamental taken away. We know how crucial athletes are, which is why we are so honored for the opportunity to work with Icy Hot and give back to schools and pause, students. Pause. This nigga will never turn down an opportunity to plug Icy Hot. But this is why they help pay for this. Okay, look, look, all I'm saying is don't nobody work like Shaq work. Don't nobody hustle like Shaq hustle. Shaq on Papa John, Shaq on Icy Hot, 
Shaq on Shaq, Shaq probably selling sodas. Don't about the general, the general, the general. <laughs> Shaq selling car insurance. Like, don't nobody hustle like Shaq, and, and don't nobody shoehorn all of his hustles at every opportunity like Shaq does. It's like, oh, your back hurting? You ain't use that icy hot. <laughs> I mean, he does it on TNT too, so I can't blame him. But he went on to say after that that I really feel for all the kids who have had to cope with the challenge on top of the stress and isolation caused by the coronavirus pandemic, which is why I wanted to do something to help. So Shaq, of course, went out of his way to do something to help. You know that we here on the Flyer Out podcast love the kids. Again, we promoted tons and tons of different charities and foundations for you to go out and help. But honestly, next time you see a kid, just be nice to them. <laughs> honestly, that might be all of the hope and care that we need in this world. Ask them how they are doing and actually listen to them. I don't know. These are simple suggestions to help make the world a little bit better place. But that is this week's Ballers Bouquet. Uh, make sure you go out and support your local student athletes. Go to the games, buy some tickets, whatever, whatever. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right, all right. That is it for episode 38 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you, our Spotify listeners, Apple listeners, YouTube watchers, wherever you're listening to podcasts or getting to see our content. We just want to say we appreciate all of you, and we can't wait to see y'all again next Friday. And most importantly, we've been loving, loving, loving all of the segment ideas and things that you all want to hear about that you all have been messaging us with. We can't wait to get into all of that and have some more guests on the fly route podcast. That was our first guest ever Phil D like day one for us, day one for some of us here. And like, we are looking forward to getting more guests on the show, hearing more people's perspectives and trying to create a community here. More importantly, if you somehow found us on YouTube, make sure to leave your hot takes on what's going to happen, whether it be in the NBA playoffs, the NFC West predictions, or was the Julio Jones trade a good idea? Let us know down in the comments. We'll see you next Friday.